Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Variety, celebrating more than 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. I think what we lacked in money, uh, we, we showed up with uh, heart and soul, that like uh, we, we had excess of that. And I, I think that's what, um, I mean, that's the only way you can explain like how we make certain shots every day. Like there's some shots that, you know, normally you'd need a horse wrangler, you'd need a first AD, you'd need a, a couple PAs, you'd need to make so many of these different shots happen that just, you know, somehow magically came together. <laughs> With a minimal budget and a small amount of time, Clifton Collins Jr. brings life and beauty to his performance as a horse racer, feeling the effects of decades on the equestrian circuit in Sony Pictures Classics, Jockey. I'm Clayton Davis. On this episode of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast, we talk to Clifton Collins Jr. about taking on the role of Jackson Silva in Clint Bentley's directorial feature debut. But first... Our award circuit panel discusses the latest regarding the tragic death of cinematographer Alina Hutchins on the New Mexico set of the independent film Rust. We also run down Variety's 10 Actors to Watch ceremony and new releases, including Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho. It's all on this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Hi, everyone. It's the Awards Circuit Roundtable. Michael Schneider back with you, along, as always, with Clayton Davis, Jazz Tanke, and Janelle Riley. And want to kick off things this week, obviously, the big news uh, that we're all still discussing, I think are going to be discussing for a long time to come, is obviously the tragedy on the set of Rust in New Mexico. It's something that uh, we've all been covering the past several days now and discussing new information is constantly coming out. So at the risk of uh, new details coming out, after we record this and and after this podcast airs. Nonetheless, we're starting to get a real picture of uh, just, you know, some real negligence on the set uh, that's sort of indicative of some ongoing issues just overall in filmmaking. Jazz, I want to start with you since obviously uh, so much of this conversation deals with uh, uh, artisans, craft uh, folks, and uh, you know really what happened and didn't happen on that set. Uh, so, from your perspective, what's what's sort of the latest that you're hearing and, and understanding from what went on down there? I, I guess I'm a few hours behind because, as you're Clayton and I actually at the Savannah Film Festival, but I spoke to Stephen Lighthill, who's the president of the ASC, and trying to get his gauge on, you know, what is going on. And I think at the end of the day, he said, you know, it, it wasn't a prop gun. They, you know, they used a real gun. There was a breakdown of protocols. And I think that is the main thing. Like there are protocols in place. None were followed. There's also the biggest story of, you know, the below the line crew members who had previously been, talking about COVID protocols not being in place, gun safety protocols not being in place, and also working long hours. So, you know, I feel like that is definitely going to be in the spotlight, especially as we just, you know, the IRC strike vote or the ratification of that is, is in the ether. It's in the conversation. So I think that that's where we are right now. Yeah, and and this could really have an impact on uh, you know a, a, an agreement that already was unpopular with IATSE members. Uh, you know, you already see cars around town before uh, this tragedy. Uh, folks saying vote no. People really disappointed with with how things turned out. Uh, I think this just obviously amplifies that. Uh, Clayton, you and Jazz, like Jazz mentioned, you're both down there in Savannah right now. Uh, are are folks? talking about this what's what's the sense you're getting from just people in the industry as as you run into them uh, uh on the circuit 
Yeah, so because we're on the ground at the Savannah Film Festival, uh, it's it's a very big production school, and there's a lot of uh, people that work in TV and film production that are here. I actually moderated a panel, did a master class today uh, with students, and it came up, there were several questions about it. Uh, (laughs) What I shared today, you know, and why, you know, Helena's, Death is so tragic, and again, it's a it's breakdown of protocol. But this is the core of what Ayati was fighting for, fighting for safety, you know, across the board. And what we're seeing now, and listen, we don't know what we don't know in terms of where we go from here. But for the first time, I feel like the guilds are going to have some power. In in determining, you know, what this looks like moving forward, um, I think that the the general consensus is, you know, we asked for a lot of things that we didn't get that, you know, were unpopular. And then then Helena's tragedy happens. And then now, you know, how how, how are you Hollywood Studios going to combat and say no to these requests that are just, you know, bare minimum with safety and just so you can be safe going to work. I I think Hollywood could be at a a crossroads in terms of, you know, either they're showing that every worker is supported or is it really just about the bottom line? And I don't know, the court of public opinion is going to be greater than any dollar amount that they'll need to spend on just making sure that everyone's safe and everyone's doing the correct things across the board. Well, and, and Janelle, uh, uh, you know, I, I know you have a lot of friends in this industry. I'm, I'm sure you've talked to, to folks as well. What, one of the things that struck me in, in uh, attending the candlelight, candlelight vigil the other night for Helena Hutchins was the number of people who said this could have happened to any of us. This is, you know, indicative of, of a larger issue of just, you know, crew members, uh, people who work on these productions, who, you know, continue to, you know, work these long hours. Safety is just not, uh, you know, at the forefront. And, uh, you know, obviously this isn't the, the first example of people dying on sets or getting super injured on sets because of uh, the, the overworked nature of production. I don't know how people work those hours. I really don't. And I just came from the Newport Beach Film Festival where Jeffrey Wright received an award from us. And one of the things he made sure to say in his speeches was, they deserve everything they're asking for and more when talking about his crew. You know, these are the first people who show up, the last people to leave. They work so hard. Everyone will acknowledge that. You literally can't do it without them. And I just don't know why it's necessary to work these crazy hours. Like, I mean, I'm assuming it all comes down to money, but there's something to be said for, you know, quality of, of, of you know, being on the job. I just think there need to be some major changes. And, and I apologize. Um, I was told that her name was pronounced Galena. No, I spoke to her best friend who said it was Helena. It is Helena. Okay. That was... It's Helena. 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 Okay. Helena Hutchins. Um, Yeah. I mean, it is such a small world. So it was interesting to see how many people I knew who had worked with her and who just talked about, you know, her love for this craft and, you know, what a fascinating eye she had. And it's just, you know, it's, it's just a tragedy on so many levels. Yeah. Yeah. And she had such a great backstory. I mean, she's an immigrant from, from the former Soviet Union and worked her way up to, uh, you know, this, this preeminent role as a cinematographer, uh, seemed beloved by, uh, you know, other crew members, by uh, faculty at AFI where she studied. Uh, she mentored new generations of, of uh, young, uh, you know, aspiring directors of photography and cinematographers. And, you know, it just sounded like, you know, a, a real, you know, passionate, someone who just loved film, who really wanted to work in this business and managed to uh, achieve some of those dreams. Uh, had a family, had a son, had a husband. Uh, just It's just tragic all around. Um, yeah, I, I just want to add something. Something that uh, I just remembered that one of the students uh, s- that was speaking today, that was in the master class with me today, that has worked on a few TV shows that have filmed around here, says that what we've seen is 
the streamers, you know, these new players that have come into the space, you know, they're definitely employing a lot of uh, people and there's just, just big growth in how much money they're making versus, you know, you know, anyone that ever was, you know, making movies and TV shows back in the day, but as they, they are making more money, the, these workers are not, you know, they're not, they're not being, you know, on top of safety, they're, you know, Los Angeles, spoiler alert, is a very uh, expensive place to live. And, you know, it, it's been, it's, you know, I can't imagine working, I, I can't imagine, like, 35000 like, some making, like, $35,000 a year. No, I, I don't think like, and that's that's part of uh, the the issue with with all the different guilds uh, is is the fact that you know they're you know the, the the base pay is still so low given the cost of living here and in New York. And I think just to wrap to wrap up, like you know, as as we are revisiting so many past occurrences on sets. You know, when this happened, like, you know, we went back to look at Brandon Lee. We went back, you know, uh, Vic Morrow, like, you know, all these like big events looking back. And it's like, what has really changed? You know, is it just for face? And I think no matter what. I think everyone's aware of it now. You know, while social media is a terrible place, typically, I'm grateful that it's here because that word spread fast of what happened to her. And there, I, I don't think people are going to let up to take anything less than the things that are being asked for. And I think that's the, yeah. the best thing we can have. I think just one more thing. And then, you know, it's it sheds, it really makes the case stronger for working hours. So many of these crew members were tired, which is why they walked out the day before the tragedy happened. You know, so I feel it's like, come on, give Give them the weekend off. Give them a longer turnaround. We are, you have so much content. So what if you have to shoot an extra day just to accommodate that extra hour? I think that's, that's the plea. That's what they want. And I also, you know, mental health. I really hope the crew members and Alec Baldwin too are getting their mental health support. Well, there are two different things going on here because obviously we're discussing the issues that IATSE is raising and the issues of overworked crews, underpaid crews, et cetera. But then there is also the issue of firearms on set and the debate over whether or not there should be firearms on set. And uh, yeah, uh, didn't the rookie announced that they banned firearms on set? Yeah, I think that was the first show that did it. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know, and and I think that's going to be a little a bit of a tougher debate on on you know what should be done because there is an argument that you know this was a negligent individual. It sounds like uh, you know from everything that we've heard, the first AD, uh, it really came down to choices uh, that he made that led to this tragedy. Uh, but also, there's that debate over um, you know if used safely, properly, if you have a well-trained armorer on set. That and nothing like this should ever happen. Uh, there's conflicting reports on what happened with this gun from you know, what's been out there. Some people are saying that some of the crew members actually took these guns and used them as target practice over the weekend before. And, and so there's potential of live ammunition being trapped in these guns that led to this, this tragedy. Um, you know, we, we haven't confirmed all of that yet, but that's a, a separate issue. And uh, you know, I've, I've talked to uh, quite a few armorers the past couple of days for for stories and uh you know they're not ready to uh suggest that we should get rid of firearms uh that that you know as long as you're using proper techniques and you're properly handling these firearms that there isn't live ammunition except for the in the most unusual of cases then something like this should never happen their argument is that there's still a realism to using you know real prop guns which are basically real guns uh, for, for that realistic look in film. That's going to be a debate that's, I think, uh, even inside the industry is going to be a, a little more contentious. Uh, you saw, I think, uh, you know, f- folks are now trying to uh, introduce bills in uh, the California Senate, for example, to, to ban all firearms from sets. Uh, that's going to be a little more contentious. That's going to be interesting to see where things go from there. Let's just cross our fingers, right? 
Well, meanwhile, let's let's discuss some of the other things going on. Obviously, we mentioned Clayton and, and Jazz. Uh, you guys are in Savannah right now for the the film festival there. Janelle, you were just in Newport Beach and uh, you know celebrated the ten actors to watch through Variety. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. And uh, oh, such a fun event! I look forward to it every year, um, largely because uh, at the Balboa Bay Resort, where we held this event with the Newport Beach Film Festival, they have the most amazing shrimp you've ever had in your life. I just, I kept raving about it. And you think I'm joking? Look Ten at- shrimp to watch. <laughs> you, you you think I'm joking, but like Simon Rex talked about the shrimp. There was uh, everybody, the shrimp was on everyone's, it was the buzz of the festival. Um, no, but it was a great event. You know, we had some of our 10 actors to watch. Um, Moses Ingram kind of brought the house down by telling a story about how she had a terrible audition and she tried to hide in the trunk of her car. I guess just out of embarrassment for what a bad audition it was. And um, she just kept laughing as she was telling the story and everybody was like, did she say what I think she said? Um, uh, Filippo Scotti uh, from The Hand of God was there and he also got to introduce his film, which got a really nice response. Um, we had just The official a- submission now, by the way, for, it is. Uh, for Italy. That's right. Yes, yes. That's right. I mean, was there any doubt? Uh, Ikiara was put up, put up, put up a fight, but yes, it it, it was, it felt pretty preordained. Uh, Justin H. Min was there who everyone fell in love with and Sanaya Sidney, who the world is beginning to fall in love with, who plays Venus Williams in King Richard, just, there, there were several times, I hate to belabor this fact, but there were several times I had to say, are you sure you're 14? Cause she would say the most insightful, interesting, grounded things you know, and I just, I, I I know I say it every week, I can't wait for the world to see that movie. Uh, we also, as I mentioned earlier, gave our Legend and Groundbreaker Award to Jeffrey Wright. And then there were other honorees that the festival honored. Ray Liotta, who gave the shortest speech um, I think I've ever seen at one of these things. He was just like, I'm really grateful, but like, I'm not a good speaker. Um, Harvey Keitel was hilarious. Regina Hall and Simon Rex were both receiving awards. So it was a Scary Movie 3 reunion. Hmm. Um, yeah. Roseanne Arquette gave a great speech and uh, Thomas and Mackenzie soon to be seen this week in Last Night in Soho. Ooh. Yeah. And I was um, trying to provide Clayton a little segue there because I have to jump off and, and do something. But I know Last Night in Soho is opening this week. I don't know if you 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 caught my clever little little handoff there. There we go. Thanks hand for the handoff, Janelle. Have a great day. Though. I'm I'm studying the Michael Schneider school of segways. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Janelle, do your Thanks, thing. Thanks, everyone. So sorry. Clayton, grab that segue and run with it. Yeah, Janelle's the worst. So, um, <laughs> uh, no, uh, Last Night in Soho opens in theaters this week. Edgar Wright's new film. Uh, it is a Edgar Wright loves movies. That is the best thing about him and you see it in every film that he makes with Scott Pilgrim versus the world now with last night in Soho with Thomas McKenzie it is a different type of movie good mystery uh thriller it was a bit divisive uh when it premiered at the festivals but it's it's a good movie for the big screens it could be a very uh strong craft player in a few spots like production design costumes maybe even sound um but it it, it it's fun it's it, it, if you like Edgar Wright this is not a good it's not a bad place to, to find yourself this weekend. I have not seen it, but I have heard things about the crafts and the soundtrack. Like Edgar Wright just can do no wrong with his soundtracks thinking of Baby Driver and now this. Yeah, it was, it's good to, to see him there doing it. Um, yeah, and the, and the other, other thing that opens this week is uh, that of, of note is the Souvenir Part 2, now Gotham Award nominee, Souvenir Part 2 which actually gives us the segue now to the Gotham Awards. That was the big thing of, 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 of the week, which now we are in this genderless world uh, with the Gotham Awards, which when you're the Gothams and you're a small group of five people that are, you know, deciding these nominees, I think it's okay to be genderless here. Because you don't run, you don't, there's not a high risk of you know, ten white guys, you know, being in the, in the running. I think someone will will sound the alarm if that's what's happening. Uh, but the, the the big surprise was that you have up to ten nominees, so they did ten leads, and then seven supporting. The big surprise there was Reed Burney of the film Mass, 
was the only representation for Mass, and they yeah. seem to ignore Martha Plimpton, uh, Jason Isaacs, and who was thought to be one of the Oscar frontrunners, Ann Dowd. I, we don't know this for sure. Mark Harris was on that jury, and he tweeted out some thoughts on that. It reads as if maybe, don't know for sure, that I think there was a debate about them being all leads. Because it, it's interesting that we have seven supporting, and those are the three that are missing. So I think they just went with Reed Bernie. Maybe he felt the most supporting of the four, which I think they're all in the same category. And I think you can argue that they are four leads, but that was the big uh, kind of shocker uh, of, of the morning. But Lost Daughter and Passing Lead, Lost Daughter is doing very, very well right now. Maggie Gyllenhaal's movie, who was our guest last week. And uh, Rebecca Hall's Passing is doing very well with a great nomination for Tessa Thompson and Ruth Nega who I moderated a conversation with Ruth Negger last night and is delightful. And Simon Rex got nominated too. I mean, I'm, I remember calling you when Mass got snubbed, but um, Simon Rex, Red Rocket, could he be a surprise sneak in or a... I don't like people raising my hopes, so stop it. <laughs> keep telling me, like, let, let me, let me be disappointed all season and then surprise me later. But I hope so. He deserves it. I was happy to see Joaquin Phoenix in there. I know you and I love Come On, Come On. Um, and just to see that film get recognized. And Pig, Nicolas Cage, fight, shows up. Only nomination for Pig in, in, <laughs> in Best Feature, but not Nicolas Cage, which was strange. Uh, but uh, TV side had its, had its fair share of stuff. So let's talk about that Squid Game, Mike. Squid Game, it's, you know, it's it's starting. You know, Netflix, uh, they think they've got a real player on their hands. Uh, and they're expecting to maybe break through SAG, which I think would be the big the big news there. The first, uh, you know, non-English uh, international show uh, to, to enter the cast race. So they're going to be pushing that hard. And this is, uh, they're off to a nice start. Uh, I was also happy to see some love for the good Lord Bird since the Emmys just decided uh-huh, to snub yes. for whatever reason. Uh, you know, Underground Railroad, which we've talked a lot about how that that show just sort of, you know, it, it didn't get the kind of the due that it deserved, partly because of when it launched, etc. White Lotus in the mix. Starting the White Lotus mm-hmm. train. Yeah, Starting the White go. Lotus train. And then, uh, you know, on the uh, Breakthrough Series side, uh, some love for Reservation Dogs, which I am really digging. Um, that's, that's, I'm glad to see that show, you know, small little comedy on FX on Hulu uh, starting to get, uh, you know, some attention. We Are Lady Parts as well on Peacock, another sort of show that uh, hopefully is going to get more recognition and more attention in the coming months. So pretty good mix. I'm starting to get that bubbly feeling, which I probably shouldn't this early because the Emmys are a year away. But Reservation Dogs, Dark Horse comedy series yeah. nominee for next next year i could absolutely see it as sort of the uh it's it's very the what we do in the shadows yes yes it's very yes. good uh good yeah. comparison so if you haven't seen reservation dogs seek it out because it's worth your time and it's really good and then uh performance in a new series jennifer coolidge starts now i was very surprised by the queen's gambit because that just, like, I thought we were done with it. I guess not. We still have one more award show with it. Yeah, just the, the weird calendar situation of it. Um, Omar Sy and Lupin. That's uh, another, uh, yeah, we're getting international here. Look at you, got yeah. the awards. So. And then you got some more Squid Game there. So when, yeah. it, opens up, when, when it opens up to, to membership, it's going to be interesting to see how they, how they vote. It's going to be a fun little thing. Yeah. And Tuso, yeah. thank you, Gotham's. For correcting the Emmy's dark, dark mark this year. Exactly. So this uh, begins a, an interesting. Uh, you know, it's it's always TV award season, right? We never take yeah, a break. Always. So, no, so. It's always award season. Period. Yeah. So true. But yeah, that's it. And then the last thing to to, to wrap up is that this week, uh, my column focused on Clifton Collins Jr. and Jockey. This is the ten year anniversary of Damien Bashir's nomination for a Better Life. Uh, he'll be. Damien Bashir was the fourth Latino ever nominated for lead actor, one of two that's still alive. And uh, Clifton Collins Jr. would be the fifth. So lead actor's getting stacked. It's competitive. You see what happens. But at Middleburg, where I was with Jazz last week, I saw two films. I saw many films, but only two films I was at got 
two senior got senior ovations. One was Belfast, the front runner <laughs> for best picture. The other was Jockey, which leads me to believe if Clifton doesn't make it, it's because not enough people saw it. People have to give it its moment. If they watch it, I think he's in. Clifton's on this week's episode, correct? Clifton is this week's episode. All right. Well, we'll go to that right now. Thanks, Clayton and Jazz, and also uh, Janelle somewhere out there. And Janelle's memory. (laughs) (laughs) See you guys next week. After the break, Clifton Collins Jr. star of the new feature, Jockey. From Los Angeles, this is Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. And we're back. It's the Award Circuit Podcast, and I'm Clayton Davis. Clifton Collins Jr. has run the gamut in Hollywood. He's worked with actors such as Philip Seymour Hoffman in Capote, Robert Redford in The Last Castle, and Benicio Del Toro in Traffic. He's also worked with directors like Alejandro Gonzalez in Yarito and Babel, Quentin Tarantino in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and J.J. Abrams in Star Trek. Now, he brings life and beauty to his performance as a horse racer, feeling the effects of decades on the equestrian circuit in Sony Pictures Classics, Jockey, from director Clint Bentley. Collins Jr. is receiving critical acclaim for his turn, and if he is nominated for Best Actor, he will become just the fifth Latino to ever be recognized in the category, following Jose Fered, Anthony Quinn, Edward James Olmos, and Damian Bashir. I spoke with Collins Jr. about Jockey and also what we can expect from Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley in which Collins Jr. co-stars along with Bradley Cooper, Rooney Mara, and Kate Blanchett. He also opens up about the legacy of his grandfather, Pedro Gonzalez Gonzalez, a classic character actor who appeared in many John Wayne films over his career. We also discuss his work with Father Greg Boyle's Homeboy Industries. We began by talking about how much he identifies with Jockey's character. Yeah, all of it. It's it's. Uh, I didn't feel like Jackson while creating Jackson, but um, after the fact, I don't know. I think you maybe pay more attention to things after you've hyper focused on them to create a, a character, and they just kind of linger with you. You think you take a little bit of every character you play with you, like after it's oh, over? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, some more than others, depending on how deep the dive is. But obviously, um, when you don't have any money, all you can do is dive deep. I'm waiting for you to take over the world, man, from Star Trek, man. <laughs> you should have that. Uh, it's that happening. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to say today. I've announced officially it is happening. For a lot of our, uh, you know, you've been a great character actor for such a long time, just having so many... Uh, roles in so many movies that people forget that you're in so much over, over the time um i w- would love for you to talk about your grandfather because pedro gonzalez gonzalez yes, um and for the people to know who like, who he is and why you guys have that uh connection well the connection's because he's my grandpa <laughs> <laughs> well more so i mean connection to like your um your acting ability and then sure uh inspiration gosh i mean grandpa's um i think i'm like a fifth or sixth generation entertainer um and my grandfather was mentored by some some great uh comedians from uh, the texas vaudevillian circuit um so they're the guys that taught him, and he started when he was six, and then slowly made the transition at a radio station in San Antonio called WOAI. And from 1935 to 45, it was predominantly radio. That was entertainment. You, you sat by the radio. So he helped that radio station make the transition to television, which led to a, a telethon for cerebral palsy, um, emceed by Walter O'Keefe. And he had a, a game show at the time called uh, Double or Nothing. 
He's really good friends with Groucho Marx, so he does the Double or Nothing show, thinks he's hilarious, calls Groucho Marx. Groucho Marx thinks he's hilarious. He's a big hit on this one episode. And um, all this fan mail floods NBC. Um, and then uh, John Wayne saw him and uh, hired him to be a contract player, which for, you know, a little Mexican-American dude, you know, he can't read because he's been entertaining since he was six. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was very... Uh, hesitant and, and a bit uh he was very happy he's grown comfortable having a steady job at woai and he had a band there that he can constantly either play with or do comedy with or improvise because um, so much of what he did not only was he creating shows every week on, on this theater when he was doing the theater circuit in texas um you know he was writing them so it, not handwriting them because he couldn't write but he, he would write them in his head and he would dictate them to somebody or if he needed to come in, he could improvise as well. He was that kind of a song and dance man. And he always had gigs. Like, he knew he could drop a song or a dance. Or he had a whole litany of a set list of entertainment. Variety show, like Vaudeville is. Did, uh, did you always know your entire life that you were going to be an actor? I did not. Um, but I was always a class clown. So I think that I just... I think subconsciously, yes. <laughs> you knew you were going to perform. It was in what? Uh... I, I did. And, you know, I think my first stage was probably, well, earlier on when my cousin and I would be tap dancing because we started around seven. Um, you know, it was grueling. Like, like they gave us the Vavillian schedule of practice. They hated us at the talent shows and at school because we would show up with, like, top hats and canes and suits and kids have, like, paper costumes <laughs> with markers. You know, we had Arthur Duncan from the um, Lawrence Welk show come in and choreograph a dance and song for us. I mean, it's full-blown, like... Nobody's going to touch us. <laughs> Whenever we'd show up, my sister, too, because my sister and them, they did, who's a casting director now, um, she's why I was able to do uh, Star Trek, because um, J.J. Abrams was doing Alias, and she was casting Alias. But she had married the dude in 187, Jonah Rooney, so her name became Veronica Rooney. So when he had modeled this character after Frankie Flowers in Traffic... And just had the crazy idea, like, God, would this guy even do it? Does he even do television? And I was such a snooty, like, I've got to be a struggling independent <laughs> film actor. I've got to, like, barely make rent this month. i got to feel real. I can't do television. And my sister was like, I know you don't do TV, but this is J.J. Abrams. He's a family man. He's a good-hearted person. He's going to be an insane filmmaker. you, you got to do this. He wrote this for you. I'm like, sis, look, I, you know I'm not doing it. What's too bad? I already told him you're doing it, so you're doing it. I was like, What? Is she little sister or older sister? She's three years younger than me. And she, is she, you just let her strong arm you like that, she, man? She, she already committed me. She, she was just like... But she's always been like the voice of reason. Uh, she's always okay. been like the, the, like the moral core, like the family, so to speak. <clears throat> My grandfather knew that when she was a young girl. Like he nicknamed her the queen and shit when she was oh. like three. <laughs> she was destined. So he knows who's in charge over there. That's right. Pretty much. Right. I was like, fine, I'll do it. Um, getting your start and working with, uh, you mentioned traffic, working with Steven Soderbergh, you worked with, uh, Robert Redford on The Last Castle, and then, you know, the big film that many of us will revere you for, I always feel is your gift to cinema, thus far, is Perry Smith in Capote. Thank you. Uh, and Ben Miller's first, first movie. No, first feature. First feature. Um, going from, you know, you know Soderbergh when they won the Oscar, Redford who had won an Oscar before, and then you go to a first-time director like uh, like Ben Miller with a, a transition for you, or you 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 were it was all about uh, the work that's there. And we're with uh, it's, all, it's all about the work too, but also you got to remember the um, Philip, Dan Futterman, the writer. And Bennett, they'd all been friends since they were like 14, 15, 16 years old. And they all come from, they're all from New York. So it's very much uh, that parallel, you know, Perry Spitz with The Outsider. Here I am, Clifton Collins from L.A., the L.A. street actor. And these guys are all theater and trained and from, you know, the school of acting. So they had this whole thing. So there is very much like the book as well in that respect. Um, and Bennett was very um, meticulous in the rehearsal spaces, um, which I was really grateful for. Uh, he did say that we would never do certain, the, the big reveal scene at the end, he said, we will, we'll never get to that place. And I said, uh, hmm, well, why is that? He says, well, I want to save it for the camera. I said, well, I'm 
I mean, we could rehearse as much as you want to. And we could do it as many times in front of the camera or off. He's like, no, we're going to save it. And then one day during rehearsal, they, I think they just wanted to test it out. And I totally saw them going there in my head as the moments were getting longer and longer in the scene. And we're getting to that place that he said we were never going to get to. And boy, <laughs> I think he just wanted to see what was under the hood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and then the direction changed a little bit from that point. Because I think it was questioned at, at uh, it was like, uh, I don't know, one of the adjectives was like, you're a big softie, he said. I was like, oh. Where, I thought we were in a safe place. I thought this was a <laughs> rehearsal. But okay, so what's the next? What's the next scene? Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you mind me asking? Like, what, what do you remember most fondly about about Phil and working with with Philip uh, Hoffman? Just how how dedicated he was, how committed he was, how uh, you know, there's a degree of of selfishness that I think every great artist has to have. Um, you don't create art by just not not being present with it and um it meant the world develop um you know and by his his own admittance i i think i I don't know at that point in time i remember him and i talking and he said something like uh you know clifton this this isn't fun for me i don't don't, this isn't fun what's fun for me is hanging out at the coffee shop with my friends smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee and i was like whoa dude that means you got a job because <laughs> I really love what I do. So I could do this for hours and hours and hours. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's painful. And he had the weight of the world on his shoulders is what I realized. So it kind of, because he was really concerned about not coming off the right way, it, it brought a, a bit of angst in it. it. I think it robbed him a lot of the joys of it. Albeit, you know, when it came festival time, that was such a a, a beautiful celebratory moment. I remember crashing the Golden Globes because I didn't have a ticket. <laughs> and I, I decided to crash it at the end of the show because um, I felt it was safer and I had more opportunities to sneak in. And the first person to break through the doors was Philip. And that's when he had won. And it was, I just remember it so vividly because I was by myself. I, I was coming up on the side um, right off a of, uh, uh, Santa Monica Boulevard. And he came running out, and he was like, Clifton, Clifton, I won. He just gave me a big hug, and I could feel his heartbeat just racing, just from, like, the nerves and the anxiety, and really special. Awesome. Yeah. Now, to, to go into the reason why you're why we're together here, uh, you have a movie, Jockey, premiered at Sundance uh, in January 5th. Well, time is relative. I don't remember when it was earlier this year. And then, uh, it's been playing the festival circuit and we're at Middleburg right now where it screened and you, I, I've been to a few of the screenings here, maybe one of two thus far that got a standing ovation afterwards. Mm. So I just want to say, man, it's looking good for you. And I love the movie. Tell me, tell us about the movie. Tell us about, obviously the unlimited dollars of resources that you receive for independent cinema, right? Cause you had every money that you could use for this movie, right? Yeah. Everything. I think what we lacked in money, uh, we, we showed up with uh, heart and soul that like, uh, we, we had excess of that. And I, I think that's what, um, I'm mean, asking what you can explain, like how we make certain shots every day. Like there's some shots that, you know, normally you'd need a horse wrangler, you'd need a first AD, you'd need a, a couple of PAs, you'd need to make so many of these different shots happen that just, you know, somehow magically came together. <laughs> How many people are on set? We, we had a crew of 10, ten. crew of 10, um, with the ambition of like, you know, a thousand. <laughs> and, and, and you, I mean, you guys didn't even have like a script, a script supervisor, right? Was he on set? Was no script like- supervisor, no first AD, no second AD, no hair, no makeup, no lights, um, no trailers. Yeah. I had a pen to do rewrites. <laughs> uh, did, did this differ from working on other I mean was this a small one of the smallest budgets that you've worked on for a while uh, it's been yeah it has I think the last time I worked on something this small might have been like um, Jacob Vargas's Road Dogs which we shot for $125,000 um, and we had gang members doing security for us they would like lock up all the ice cream trucks in a straight row. Really? <laughs> they had walkie-talkies. <laughs> They're just talking. We, no, we, we taught the gangbangers how to use them. 
and they were the best security. And then different neighborhoods, you had to use different gangbangers because they were rivals. <laughs> but Jockey, it was a very small crew. Yeah. And we shot it in 20 days. And uh, preparing for the role, I mean, because you don't have that budget, I mean, what did you do to prepare for yourself personally? Because it's, it's a great, outstanding performance, man. For me. Thank you, man. Um, when you have something that you really care about like that, and you know you don't have money, and the director and the producers, dear friends, you guys are like boys. Mm -hmm. It's like you're just showing up. It's it's like you know, it's like you get into a fight after school at three o'clock. Like I got you. Mm -hmm. You know, you just show up. So, and when you find out you lose money or you lost part of your budget before shooting, you just get more committed like i love I, I don't know why being that salmon swimming upstream you know, hey that water's gonna be extra heavy today. awesome i can't wait to get in there <laughs> it's gonna be extra hard or hey you know i want to learn how to play both both carters i get the blues that's one of the hardest songs to learn out the gate great i can't wait to get started you know what i mean i don't know why that just uh, it turns me on as an artist <laughs> and uh, listen i um we were during the Q&A here at the festival, uh, audience member asked a very, very uh, important question I always love to highlight here. Uh, you know, you're a Latino mm. in a leading role, and it's not, an, it's not the crutch of the movie is being a Latino in a leading role. You know, you, the movie starts off, I think, with same Buenas, and then it just, like, continues on. Like, it's, it's just a part of it, which is what people like myself are asking for when we talk about representation in the industry we want latinos in roles we love latino stories and they're great sure <laughs> they're very important but don't everybody live the american me yeah, like, it's not all about <laughs> some that. people are cowboys yeah some people are rodeo riders and it's it's funny um and and, and i've always got to decide too it's it's really about um you know it's like i would talk to my grandpa i said uh you know, he'd be like, I said, sure, I'm, I'm sure I'm Mexican-American. Yes, I was born here. He'd be like, but I'm a Texan. You soy Tejano. I was like, okay, Grandpa. <laughs> you know, and, and it's funny. And, and addressing some of these characters from those areas when they're Latino, I got to be like, well, how, uh, what, what's the culture that they reside in? Is it a hardcore rodeo? Is it old world? Is it new world? Because if they're, you know, second, third generation, I mean, you could put a clan hat on them and they could talk and you wouldn't know they were Latino because yeah. their accent's so damn country and thick. <laughs> you know, and I think it's beautiful. I think that's real life. And so much of the horse racing community now is uh, heavily Latino. You know, that's been a change over the last couple of decades. Yeah. Um, you know, some, as you can tell in the film, some are like, you know, off just off the boat and others are not. You know, others are like, there's some Latinos in there that that look white. In that sound country, they're, they're straight up. I'm like, in between takes, I'm talking Spanish to them. Mm -hmm. Just because we can. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's cool when you see a bunch of dudes that look like they're all white suddenly start speaking Spanish. Yeah, it throws, throws you <laughs> off, right? Oh. Throws the other people on, not us. <laughs> um, this is, I mean, you, you've had leading roles before, but this is maybe like your largest, most significant. That people are going to, like, you know, be, we, we're going to try to get as many people to see this movie as possible. Mm, I'd love but, that. But, this is a big deal. Um, and now at, at this point in your career, did you feel ready? I mean, have you, have you always felt ready to take on a role like this or you think you needed the time? You, you know, you, in, the, in that moment, you're not really thinking about that. You're thinking about, damn, we just lost half our money. I know my dude that wrote this shit and, and my other dude, Greg Quidar, they're hella passionate and they got their, their blood, sweat and tears in this. I'm going to help them see this through. So it wasn't about, am I ready? It's like, I got a job to do. I don't have time to worry about things that don't have nothing to do with my process, so to speak. Because um, I got to give everything I got, and I need to dig somewhere deeper to even pull up some more stuff. In 20 days, right? It was In 20 days, I got there like a week and a half, two weeks early, just to hang out with the jockeys as much as I could. So the, the acclimation wasn't just me just, oh, we'll get to know one another. Like, I need to dive in like yesterday. So when you get there, you're already, and I've already done as much possible studying, going on YouTube, seeing the lifestyles, the things, the generations, how it's changed, what people loved about it. It was like baseball in the 40s. It was like they packed audiences, and it's not that today, you know? 
I have to ask you one thing also in, in referring to uh, Latino representation. Uh, this year marks the 10-year anniversary of Damien Bashir's nomination for A Better Life. He is one of uh, four Latinos that have been nominated for Best Actor ever. Two, one of two that are still alive today. Him and Edward James Olmos for Stand and Deliver. Uh, and that's uh, Jose Ferrer, who, who won for Cyrano de Bergerac. Ben Affleck, Argo. <laughs> Tony Mendez. <laughs> oh, my bad. My bad. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's been our, our little joke of Tony Mendez uh, and Ben Affleck, who won this picture, but not, we know how this goes. Um, but yeah, uh, Jose Ferrer and uh, Anthony Quinn, people who don't even know he was Mexican. Like, I know. People, yeah, my grandpa was good friends with him. Oh, yeah. They are like the same time period. Yeah, so. he would tell me he's sitting outside of an audition room back in the 50s. Yeah, because he was married to Cecil B. DeMille's daughter. And mm -hmm. It was no secret that uh, she wasn't exactly a, a looker, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, so it was kind of an ongoing joke because, you know, your father-in-law is Cecil B. DeMille. You know, so it, you, people would openly talk about it. Really? <laughs> How ugly his wife was. <laughs> <laughs> kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm sorry. Yeah. So it was one of four, like four people in 90, going on 94 years, mm. you could be among that. Um, it's a very small group, but you just say Benicio Del Toro supporting actor. Oh, was it? Yeah. He won supporting actor for traffic. And then, oh. uh, that it was funny. That season was the year that he was, he won supporting at the globes. He got kicked lead at SAG and won lead at SAG and then got, back in supporting for the Oscar and then won the Oscar. How the hell is that? I can't figure well, shit out sometimes. That was like one of the campaign like mysteries of, if it, that's why that year no one knew who was going to win Best it's Actor. It's not really Mexican. He's Puerto Rican. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but we don't, like I said, we don't have a lot here and in 94 years it, it needs to be a, a it needs to increase obviously and you could be among that. What does that feel like i'm all for that oh, let's what? do that i like this conversation i like where this is going let's get an oscar nominee with the collins jr <laughs> that would be amazing uh look if the if you know i'm i'm, I'm very uh we're all quite humbled by um the way it's been received and when you put your heart and soul into something and and people uh, like mirror that with with love and admiration and it's uh i mean you do a movie for no money if you knew you was going to get that reaction trust me trust me it's awesome. Last question for you. Ended out here. Uh, you were talking about the East World and you know all these different worlds, but you didn't talk about West World, which was uh, interesting. So I wanted to know East like, World. Uh, you you were, uh, you had a quote before. You were talking about different <laughs> worlds people are from. Oh, I, yeah, I really yeah. wanted to drop West World, and I was like, ah, I'm gonna see. <laughs> I love end. West World. Yeah, what's going on with it? I'm, I mean, it's it's a freaking amazing show. They're shooting right now. Are you? Uh, you get involved in it? Uh, I mean, I, I, I did, I've, I've been involved. I've done some stuff. Right. You know, it's, uh, it, it's, it, I think, um, God, Westworld was just such a, such a joy to be a part of one, an iconic show, you know, 1973, Yul Brenner and Brolin, Brolin's dad. Um, so to bring that back, um, to work with Ed Harris, the man in black, I mean, that, that's been such a, a fun it's just such a, f a fun thing across the board and so many different, insanely talented cast. Um, and, you know, Evan, Thandy, and just the entire, Jeffrey Wright, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, you know, I wore my grandfather's gun belt from Rio Bravo. Mm. Um, you know, being able to gunsling, riding horse, rodeo horse, really good, well-trained rodeo horses, which is quite different from the quarter horses on jockey. Like, it's two different things. Um, one's like a trick car, and the other one's like a dragster. <laughs> so, rodeo horses you can control all day long, forwards, backwards. They're like Porsches. They're just, like, just so precise. And the quarter horses, you just, you know, I hope I can nudge her a little to the left. Mm. I hope I can nudge her a little to the right. And I better not fall off. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Uh, oh, also, I, I didn't ask this. Like, tell us about Nightmare Alley, man. What's it going to look like? It's 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 like a, a, a beautiful nightmarish dream come true. <laughs> it, it is such a, a Nightmare Alley, visually speaking, is like this strange... Uh, Dichotomy, because albeit it's it's nightmares, it is still 
just some of the stuff I've seen, I've been in, in such awe of uh, the evolved uh, camera language of, of Dan Lauston and, and Guillermo together working that collaboration, what it's brought. So it, it's been, um, we've had quite a few lengthy conversations on the interpretation of the camera movement and, and why it moves the way it does in certain scenes. And it was quite a mix. I worked with Guillermo on um, Pacific Rim. Mm. So to watch a, a, a genius, a, a gift to a treasure to, to cinema, essentially, um, somehow like completely elevated. <laughs> I'm like, how in the hell? I understand you're going to grow, but you, you like exploded, growed. It's like <laughs> how you're, you grew exponentially. How? I was literally just trying to learn as much as I could every single day with him. He's a special dude. Yeah, he's magical. Oh man, uh, Clifton Collins Jr. Love you, man. Thank you, brother. I think, I think you're you too, man. the best. Um, oh, we have. Oh, you have to let you just talk about your book real quick. There, the, I think it's, it's it's you gave it to me here, and I have to. You have to plug it. Go. Prison ramen, uh, all origin prison recipes. Uh, I donate twenty percent of the proceeds to Homeboy Industries. They, that's uh, Father Greg's uh, uh, gig, where he um, they work with at risk gang youths, and um, it's a fantastic program. If you haven't visited, they've got a uh, the Homegirls Cafe, all organic Mexican food. Um, you walk in that door, you just feel the love from everybody. It's a very surreal experience because um, I, I think the communities, all the different lower tier communities, uh, the different gangs, white, black, Latino, Northsiders, Southsiders, they've been stigmatized in such these crazy ways. And to walk in and see, not just see, feel quite the opposite of that is, uh, it, it really affects the heart profoundly. That's Clifton Collins Jr., star of Sony Pictures Classics Jockey, which hits theaters on December 29th. And that's it for this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, Head to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Oscar predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Janelle Riley, and Michael Schneider, I'm Clayton Davis. We'll see you on the circuit. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.